To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the book which opens his Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis paints a picture of a realm held in the grip of evil. Narnia is under the control of a white witch, a sorceress who's cast a spell over the whole land with a number of negative consequences, including keeping the whole country locked in a never-ending winter. The whole world covered in snow and ice. What's worse, this dark magic has made it so that the season is perpetually winter, but Christmas never comes. Always winter, never Christmas. As a child growing up in Florida, that was truly the most frightening combination of things. (laughs) But we can take heart because Christmas is here. So tonight we hear again what is perhaps the best known and loved story that we have as human beings. A young woman named Mary was visited by an angel and told that while she was not yet married, she will give birth to a son by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that son will be the savior of his people. Mary, of course, welcomed this news, surprising though it was, She was willing to submit herself, body and soul, to God's will. But before the angel's words can come true, Mary and her future husband Joseph must travel to his ancestral hometown in order to be registered in a massive census called for by the authorities of the Roman Empire. Now that is, to say the least, a bit of a Cliff's Notes version of all the action leading up to this point in Luke's gospel. For the younger folks among us, if you don't know what Cliff's Notes are, ask somebody around in the row who might seem like they know. But think of it a little bit like, like a Snapchat video, but for a book. Or a TikTok, if that helps. See, I talked to somebody about TikTok this week and they said nobody in the congregation is going to know what that is. And I said, all right, it was worth a shot anyway. <sighs> Anyway, pop culture references aside, this story starts at this massive zoomed out level. So for example, think about if you've ever been on an airplane about the land in a town that you know well, and you find yourself looking out the window trying to point out landmarks to yourself. Or have you ever climbed up a decently high mountain or peak and looked down at familiar scenery below to see if you can pick out your house. That's where the Christmas story starts, with this wide-angle zoom lens. But at, at that distance, the details are difficult to pick out. The important worldly names that open the story, Emperor Augustus and the Governor Quirinius, they're making pronouncements, they're giving orders, They're telling their underlings where to go and what to do. These powerful men are making their lists and checking them twice 
going to find out who's from Bethlehem and who's from Rome. But they're not actually in charge of the world. Mary and Joseph do have to make this trip to Nazareth, from Nazareth to Bethlehem on the orders of the emperor. But they have a divine appointment to keep as well. You, of course, remember that when the little family arrives in the village, there's no place for them. They have to scramble just to find some place to sleep. In any case, there probably was not a hotel or an inn in Bethlehem, the way that you and I might think of a Hilton or a Marriott. In the Greek, the description of the place where they arrive is more like a guest room than anything else. But given that Joseph had brought Mary with him to his hometown, and there must have been many visitors for a census, it's likely that they were relegated to the large front room of someone's home, like a kind of terrible first century bed and breakfast. So the place where the guests slept was also probably the place where the animals were kept. And we can only imagine how difficult that must have been to travel while pregnant, but at the end of that journey, to land in somebody's front room next to the family animals. And in that place, at that time, Mary goes into labor. She gives birth to her child in a setting that we might gently call less than ideally sanitary, in a place so packed with other people that she must wrap her baby in whatever rags she can find. Swaddling clothes are a very nice way to describe leftovers. And the animal's feeding trough is converted into a crib. All of this has been left out of the angelic birth announcement that she received. But this is how the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Messiah, the Lord of Lords, comes into the world. The arrival of Jesus Christ is, of course, a massive event in the course of human history. But it takes place on the small scale of the birth of one child to one couple. And nothing will ever be the same again. This story that starts with the whole wide world needing to be counted, with the powerful commands of the emperor, has now come down from that mountaintop view and is zoomed in on a little baby lying in a manger. It was, of course, almost immediately clear that this was no ordinary child. Shepherds and their sheep, minding their own business, are suddenly struck with amazement and fear as the heavens are lit up and the silence of the night is shattered by a thunderous, heavenly pronouncement. A choir of angels, rank on rank of the hosts of heaven, fills the sky, first trumpeting the news, but then singing praises to God. God's own glory, what the Jewish scriptures called the Shekinah of the Lord, shines bright on that night, not in the holiest of holies or in the temple in Jerusalem, but it breaks out over these simple shepherds out in the fields. And the powerful voice of God's messengers, which has usually been heard only by prophets and priests and kings, now rings in the ears of the shepherds just as it did in Mary's. These angels arrive 
And suddenly the shepherds have a mission of their own to fulfill. We see that from the very beginning, the good news about Jesus has this propulsive, active quality to it. Hearing and believing it leads to action. And that the shepherds hear it first is something that we should probably not expect. Shepherds were not well thought of in polite first century society. But these rough customers hear the news before any of the rich and powerful and religious. Even Augustus in his palace does not get a birth notice. The shepherds don't even have time to change clothes or to bathe. They rush to see the infant savior in their own shabby clothes. They come running to see the baby and to tell Mary and Joseph what they've heard from the angels. In fact, they tell everyone that they meet. And everyone who heard it, Luke tells us, wondered at what the shepherds told them. Which is just a very nice way of saying that whatever the shepherds told the people they met, it sounded ridiculous. But they've got the right idea. This good news of the birth of Jesus is good news that has to be shared with other people. It's not just for Mary and Joseph and their immediate family, or those who also share King David's royal blood. It is good news of great joy for all people. The child that is born in Bethlehem, not just for his family or for his tribe or his nation, but for all the world. And he is God. The true God born in human flesh coming into the world on our behalf, willing to live and die as one of us in order that we might be reconciled to one another, but also crucially reconciled to God. This birth story reveals the level to which God is committed to glorifying the poor and the outcast. Those who feel like they are a long way from the seats of power and far from holiness. God comes into the world to be with us no matter what we have done and no matter who we are. In this child's birth and in his life, even now, the love of God is reaching out to all people, not out of some compulsion or a need to control, but out of an overflow of love in order to establish a genuine connection, a relationship defined by mutual affection. God did not need to do this. God did not need to be born among us to suffer cold and hunger and death. He did it in order to identify completely with the world that he loves. To invite us to join Jesus in the work of restoring all things to their proper purpose. And in this is our hope and our joy. Tonight and tomorrow all around the world, people will gather to proclaim the hope of all humankind that God is for us. And we know this to be true because God was willing to be born among us in flesh and blood. So hear the good news again, which is for all people. To you this day is born a Savior. Not just a friend, not just a wise teacher, not just a myth. 
a living, breathing flesh and blood Savior. God breaking into the world that he made in order to redeem it on our behalf. Sometimes it may feel like a long and never-ending winter in our hearts, like life is just too much to bear and God too far away to do anything about it. But the birth of Jesus Christ, this wonderful incarnation of Emmanuel, God with us, is meant for those who have walked in darkness, who feel frozen on the inside. Whatever you have done or left undone, whatever you have said or left unsaid, whatever life you have lived, how far you may have wandered in pursuit of your own desires, whatever darkness you may find yourself in even tonight, to you this day is born a savior. To you, the Christ child comes looking for a place to stay, a manger of the heart in exchange for offering peace and freedom and joy to you, to us, is given the opportunity to welcome him in so that Christ can be born again in our hearts. Whatever our frustrations or struggles, God desires to enter into our lives, to take our side and share our burdens. Christ is not only our Lord and Savior, he is also, in this way, our brother. He has bound himself to our humanity so that we will not be left alone to face the long winter of sin and death on our own, but came into the world to break the power of those two icy opponents, to thaw our hearts with that bright shining glory of the Lord, the light from on high that breaks like dawn over the whole creation. For us, the sun of righteousness is rising with healing rays shining into the very darkest corners. In those places where we believe God cannot and will not act, the incarnation shows that God simply will not be denied. Whatever you may think brought you here this evening, it is joy that I hope you will take away from Christmas. The joy of knowing that God wants to share his life with you in a very close and personal relationship. And that no matter what, Jesus Christ was born not just for emperors and governors, but for shepherds and wise men and fools and regular folks century later, centuries later, like me and like you. In our own lives, joy is a rare commodity in short supply. And it is so fleeting for so many people that whenever we find even a little bit, we should take notice. Christmas is here. And with it comes the end of the long winter of the human soul. We should throw a party we should prepare a feast, strike up the band, let us rejoice and be glad God has come among us. Amen. Let us revel in the goodness of God who chose to live this life, who loves us enough to give himself for us and who does not give up on us when we stumble or lose our way or wander off on purpose. Joy can slip through our fingers 
so quickly. But the joy of knowing Christ's love for us is available not just tonight, but always. Friends, Christmas means that we are never left alone and without hope. Christmas means that every winter must come to an end. Because Jesus Christ, who loves us, was born for us and desires to give us the very best gift of all. The life that is his to share with those who love and follow him. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.